You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that's three years old, but still working on getting potty trained. Hold out hope. I'm Megan. I'm Megan. No. Yeah, I'm three years old. I copy adults and friends. What? I love you. I'm confused. I show affection for friends without prompting. Are you looking at a list of what you're like expected to achieve at three years old? This is mine. (laughs) That's not mine. And he's taking his shirt off. All wait, right. Wait, wait, wait. No, and oh, oh. I can also. You put it back on on your own. Yeah, if I, I dress and undress myself. Can you tell the people your name? RJ. There you go. Getting up there. What? Oh, that your age. <laughs> and some people say boy. My friend is Megan. I would hope so at this stage. I can carry on conversations using two to three sentences. I'm so proud. I climb well, I run easily, and I can pedal a tricycle. This podcast is a tricycle, and we're going to pedal it. Uh, Whoa, whoa, wait, hold on. Specifically, I understand what two means. Oh. And I can build towers of more than six blocks. Oh. This is Ono Class, and we're celebrating three years of this. <laughs> if you do not understand what words like in, on, and under mean, you might not be three yet. You might not be three, but that's okay. You'll get there someday. So, yes, three years of, of literature and ding-dongs and whatever the hell that just was. Currently on our Patreon, uh, we're celebrating by offering a special sticker of... Are our two two beautiful, wonderful children mascot cats, Pravi and Cooper, and a special bookmark that's a surprise and no one gets to see. And that's for everybody who pledges $5 and above or is at $5 and above during the month of February. That's at patreon.com slash class. Okay, got that out of the way. Now, something you can look forward to in the next year. We're going to learn to use scissors. <laughs> We're going to learn to draw persons with two to four body parts. Oh. And we're going to learn card games. I'm so excited for you to learn card games. And we're going to start telling you what we think is going to happen next in a book. <laughs> well, that's relevant. So with that in mind, let's let's get to the episode. So our very first episode was on Big Willie Shakespeare's Macbeth. And for our first birthday, we did Titus Andronicus. And our second birthday was Beowulf, but that's because we had a professor schedule to accommodate. And so on this auspicious episode, we're back to Shakespeare because tradition or something. Tradition. Tradition. And what shake are we spearing today, you may ask? Richard III. No. (laughs) Fuck that play. (laughs) We're doing... Stop. I'm shaking it up. We're pulling out something else. What you got? That magic hat of yours. (laughs) Uh, okay <laughs> other ones other plays Great richard the fourth <laughs> this is not a thing henry the eighth okay it's much ado about nothing 
the aka a whole bunch of people freak the fuck out for literally no reason aka welcome to shakespeare this play employs the tried and true shakespeare trope of this problem would be easily solved if our characters knew how to just talk to each other like fucking adults. But while this was, as far as history has been able to determine after Romeo and Juliet, it was written before his most famous tragedies that employed this storytelling method, namely Hamlet and Othello. So he was like, what if I took people misunderstanding things like dipshits, but instead of becoming dead, they all got married and had a good time? And then he was like, nope, don't like that. Back to tragic consequences. So the play is just very interesting in where it is situated in, like, the Shakespeare cinematic universe in general. It's post-Taming of the Shrew, which, as an aside, is a play that I hate. And the only good thing it did for this world was give us the iconic 90s film, Ten Things I Hate About You. But anyway, Big Willie takes the acerbic independent woman who will shame you with her wit from that and makes it less shitty and bad in the relationship between Beatrice and Benedict, which we'll get to. While the scheming Don John, who we'll also get to, is pretty clearly a prototype for Iago. This is mid-career bard, and it's pretty fun to examine in that context. So did you have to read this play in school, RJ? Maybe. Did you have to read any Shakespeare play in school? Romeo and Juliet, for sure. Okay. That's the only one we know for sure. I did not actually read this one. I read it on my own at some point. What a nerd. Yep. Shut up. Sitting down to read some Shakespeare all by yourself. Yeah, well... Did you do the voices? Because we know you do those so well. See our first episode. Well, that was unnecessarily mean. Also, see, like, every episode where you try to do any impression ever. If you read the transcript, it's a beautiful transcript. <laughs> oh, it's a lovely transcript, except we don't have those yet, because it's, it's hard to do transcriptions. You've told us about Big Willie Shakespeare a number of times, which listeners are welcome to go back and re-experience. What do you have to tell us this time? Ah, yes. We return to the scene of Ono Lickwass's original sin. <laughs> England, the 16th and 17th centuries. The time of one Big Willie, the man with the shakes and the spears to prove it. Bill Quaker Dick, a.k.a. William Shakespeare. That's a reach. What? Quaker Dick? Quaker Dick? Hey, Quake. Yeah? And Spear. Hey. Quaker Dick. Well, wouldn't it just be Quake Dick? He's oh. not Shaker Spear. We have covered the man, the myth, and the legend around him. Or maybe the not him. Who knows? Am I right, Mark Rylance? Well, don't, don't. We're gonna fucking talk about Mark Rylance later. Don't you worry. You big fucking giant hack. <laughs> If you want to learn more about Oscar-winning English actor and enemy of the show, Mark Rylance. I mean, really, did you see him in Ready Player One? And go, go back and listen to episode 17, The Big Willie Conspiracy. And this is the guy who I'm supposed to believe when it comes to if Willie ever existed. No thanks. I think it's instructive that he's actually portraying Satan in an upcoming film being directed by one Terrence Malick. Terrence knows the truth. In more ways than one. I'm going to uncover. I'm going to blow your mind later. I've got another uh, hidden Oxfordian Shakespeare truther waiting in the wings for you. It's going to break your heart. And anyway, enough with this nothing. Let's talk about William Shakespeare. Much Ado About Nothing. Which is actually all about gossip and nonsense too. So all of this is, to put in a word, fitting. Much Ado About Nothing. Man, for short. <laughs> Man. <laughs> It's thought to be written somewhere in 1598 and 1599 when old Bill Quaker Dick. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, Bill Quaker Dick. <laughs> it's what catchy. Was with, what was wrong with Big Willie? 
was in the middle of his career when he's a wee lad of 34 or 35. The time of life when one becomes a man. And starts to meditate things on on things like love. <laughs> he starts to meditate things on things. <laughs> yeah. He starts to meditate on things like love, loss, and just how hot Denzel Washington was in the early 90s. Now that's a Washington monument I could do about. <laughs> Again, this is, it makes sense to no one. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Take my word for it. Or just Google it. We're going to talk about Much Ado About Nothing. Denzel Washington is there. He's very attractive. Man is part of the first folio, which was published in 1623. Quick note on the title. The nothing bit is a bit of play on words, specifically homophones. Words that are spelled differently but sound the same, yet have different meanings. Back in the Quaker Dick days of yore, the modern day word nothing and noting were pronounced the same as nothing. God bless those people in their language. Just adding H sounds all over the place. Or nothing was just like noting. No, noting. I don't know. There are YouTubes where they talk about what Elizabethan English probably sounded like. It must be the fact they don't have teeth in the way to block huffs of air or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's good audio. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that, dude. (laughs) Please stop. Anyway, back in those days, nothing meant what it means today. The lack of something. Noting meant gossip, rumor, or innuendo. And so, as we will learn, the play is actually about both those things at the very same time. Nothing, and well, to use the language of the day, nothing. Wait, are you still not mentioning the the better pun that's also in the title? What's the better pun? Much Ado About No Thing, which was also... Or, or an O thing. It's, it's Elizabethan horny teen slang for vagina. Because a woman's got no thing between her legs. See, well, that's where they're wrong. The, the old English were a bunch of stupid, punny perverts, just like us. And Shakespeare loved making jokes about the uh, the old O between the legs. So there's precedent here. He does that at, like every opportunity. So it's also, since uh, a good portion of this play focuses on whether a young woman is still a virgin or not, uh, it is much ado about her no and or oh thing so had they never seen labial lips <laughs> they're saying there's not a dick there some um, people got a big old thing down there i guess eh? i all, mean all vaginas are beautiful sure and not all women have vaginas but the, the point is that the title's also a vagina pun georgia o'keefe would be proud is that what the o means in o'keefe yes georgia vagina keefe <laughs> That's why Keith sounds like Queef. I can't believe I just fucking said that. God damn it. Oh, Georgia. Talk about the play. Georgia's on my mind. Talk about the play. As we've learned about Big Willie, which is short for penis. (laughs) (laughs) Good old penis Shakespeare. The dude was really good at taking stories and tales that already existed and retelling them in his own way. In this way, I think Big Willie would have been a great Hollywood studio exec just bastardizing old movies and stories again and again. Because why do something on your own when you can just borrow? And I use that term loosely. Man here is no different. I mean, you, there's one thing that was consistent in every Shakespeare episode we do. It's that he, he didn't write. Well, he wrote the thing, but first he stole it from someone else. Italians have stories about lovers who were tricked into believing they were cheating on each other by no goodniks. And Shakespeare loves stories about Italians. Perhaps man was adapted from Matteo Bendello's, the man from Mantua, novel tales, 
which deals with the misfortunes of Sir Timbrio and his sweetie, Venetia Leonata. This story of, like, man takes place in Messina after a war. And does have a character named Leonata. This is the likely inspiration for Big Willie, as he was well aware of Bandello's work, as Big Willie also adapted parts of Bandello's other works into what we know, at least in part, as Romeo and Juliet, Cymbeline, and Twelfth Night. This is not to say Big Willie took stories whole cloth, but at least used the general framework. For example, the whole subplot between Benedict and Beatrice does not seem to belong to anyone but Big Willie, and it is oh so very Big Willie. And also, early mid-2000s teen movie, like that hit, 10 Things I Hate About You. I wonder what Big Willie would have thought of that piece of art. He would have been like, hey, I made that. Maybe he would have adapted it. (laughs) This is also not to say that Bandello, or Big Willie, had a monopoly on the whole lovers being tricked into the other's cheating bit. Edmund Spencer, the author of The Fairy Queen, also penned a version of the Claudio and Hero plot. Ludoviso... Do you want to wait till that train goes by? No! I'm speaking Italian. No, that's the beast. Why were people back in the day so into uh fucking potential cuckolding stories? We still love lifetime movies today. They're not all about cuckolding. They're mostly about crazy women with guns. What a twist! <laughs> I mean, the worst thing that can happen to a man is his puss is getting some on the side. I guess someone else is using that sheath. Someone else is holstering that rifle. Okay. Ludoviso Ariosto, who wrote Orlando Furioso. Fuck, what a good name for a character. Shit, that is really good. Orlando Furioso? That fucking rules. (laughs) Wrote about the friends with benefits known as Ariodante and Ginevra. Ariodante and Ginevra. Just like the mama used to know. (laughs) In that tale, the servant Dolinda impersonates Ginevra, on the balcony while taking some vitamin D to trick poor, poor Aridante into thinking Ginevra is a whore. Thing is, we all know Ginevra isn't a whore. She's a sweet lass who don't need no man. Yeah, this is all starting to sound very familiar, which, like, should we, I don't know if we should have saved this for, like, afterwards when we, Uh, like, go through the plot. You can cut it wherever you want. I suppose so. All of these works I just mentioned predate the assumed penning of man. Bandello's tales being the oldest from about 60 to 70 years before Much Ado About Nothing. Also, before we move on from this hodgepodge of authors, I do have to mention that Matero Bandello was a monk. But more importantly, I want you to think about what Donald Duck would look like as a person, and then look up a painting of Matero Bandello. Okay, all right, hang on. I think he may have served as the inspiration for more than just Shakespeare plays. Matero Bandello. That's all I'm saying. Dello, Teroban, Matteo. Are you calling him Matero? His name is Matteo. I got an R. I got Matteo, the Italian writer Matteo, Matteo Bandello. Where are you getting Matero? I don't know. Oh, you fucked that one up. Yeah, he kind of does look like Donald Duck. (laughs) That's, and, and as much as a human being can resemble Donald Duck, this portraiture is not kind. I like Matero better. Great. Man was performed for the first time somewhere in the 1599 and 1600 range. A good way to break in that new century, am I right? Things were all dark and gloomy in the 16th century. Let's really break out a literal banger at the start of the 17th century. The play was published in 1600, and the earliest records we have of it being performed is at the wedding of Princess Elizabeth and King Frederick V. Elector Palatine. 
not Palpatine. No. But close. <laughs> the two were known as the Winter King and Winter Queen because they were in power for but one season. Womp womp. Man was a hit. It was very popular among audiences. About one performance in 1640, a poet wrote of the play, Let but Beatrice and Benedict be seen, low in a trice, the cockpit gallery boxes all are full. The cockpit being a theater built during the time of King Henry VIII, which was named the cockpit as it originally hosted cockfights. And not the fun ones, but you know, the other ones. It wasn't just a pit that all the cocks stood in? No. The real star characters of the play, Beatrice and Benedict, were taken and used in other plays by other writers, as the duo was just so liked by wider audiences. Obviously, Man lives on and is still put on today and has many adaptations that I'm sure Megan will discuss. I will. I do want to mention, though, that in one recent run of Man, it featured James Earl Jones and Vanessa Redgrave. I was going to talk about it because it was like, you know who directed that production? Not our idea. Mark fucking Rylance. Oh, here we go. (laughs) They were in their 70s and 80s, sparring as Benedict and Beatrice. Nothing like seeing two oldies but goodies having a verbal joust of wits senior citizen shakespeare senior citizen shakespeare as long as it's left at that i don't want to think about them doing anything more intimate than that and that brings us to (laughs) live fucking on stage live fucking on stage (laughs) and that brings us to getting old with rj wait what (laughs) a depressing spinoff of financing with rj oh no sponsored by Geritol. I was, oh God, see, that's the horrible thing. I was literally just about to butt in and say Geritol. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what Geritol is. Well, I just know it's an old person thing. Megan, do you know what has twice the iron of a pound of calf's liver? <laughs> Geritol. Geritol. <laughs> which really used that tidbit as a slogan on its products back in the day. Holy shit. Mmm. <laughs> calf livers. <laughs> You could have some calf liver, or you could get twice as much iron in not calf liver. (laughs) Anyway, it's a dietary supplement for old folks. Okay. So, getting old sucks. But you know what? The years keep on coming. The hits keep on coming. You know what shouldn't keep on coming? Old people. (laughs) Wow, that's a very aggressive stance you're taking. Why are the elderly not allowed to fuck? Look, the fastest growing population of people inflicted with herpes and other STDs are old people. It's because they don't use safe sex because they're like, well, we can't make babies anymore and that's the only STD we can conceive of. Most of us have to worry about if granny is going to need dentures or if grampy might need a new stent put in. We don't need to be worrying about if either of them are using rubbers when fucking some strange at the retirement home. Gram Gram's got chlamydia. Here's the problem. Break the hip or Mm. fall off the bed, Mm. have a heart attack. All of those co-pays and, de- and deductibles add up. That's true. You've spent decades of your life saving up for your retirement, and now you're going to risk it by literally fucking it away while raw-dogging it? Hell nah. I mean, to be fair, they're probably having sex pretty gently and, and or gingerly with them old bones. We need a movement to stop this from happening. We do? If not for our granny and grampy's sake, then for our own sakes. Get it out of your system now while you're young and your bodies and your finances can take those setbacks and overcome them with much more ease. There can't be a much worse existence than finding yourself evicted and riddled with STDs in the village's Florida because you couldn't afford health care because you were too busy trying to get some. I'm going to miss Florida. (laughs) Now, I know you're all wondering, but RJ, what age is too old? Where should the cutoff be? Yep, that's definitely what people were wondering. Oh, 
I don't know. Let's just say 40. What? And that's all the time we have here wait, for getting wait, old wait, with RJ. Wait, what the fuck? Brought to you by Werther's Originals. <laughs> what the fuck? The only thing your elderly ass over 40 should be sucking on. Now remember. You got six more good years of fucking in you, champ. <laughs> don't dox me. Remember, it's all fun and games for James Earl Jones and Vanessa Redgrave to have a battle on the streets. But between the sheets, one of them might find an early red grave full of pus and other things ah. they showed me in videos in grade school. Or, if they manage to escape that, perhaps a ledger full of red numbers known as debt. This is your warning. I remember in seventh grade when they made us all go into the gym, and then they put on the big projector and showed us a slideshow of different penises that were fucked up from STDs. On that note, <laughs> I turn this over to Megan, whose own age continues to glide on with the grace of Homer Simpson on a baby tricycle. More graceful than your fucking old ass. 40. I can hear you people fucking. Stop it. <laughs> Why are you doing that while the, the podcast is on? That's weird. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. This episode's so fucking late. Oh my god. Hey, it's your friend Megan. So yeah, this one got a little bit away from me. And the, the past couple have a little bit also. And we talk about uh, why that's kind of been a thing towards the end of this episode. But the, the short version is that we're in the process of moving. And so things are a little bit fucky. I believe I alluded to in our last episode as well. Th- things be fucky, but you know what's not fucky? That three years of Ono oh Lit class. Like, holy shit, y'all. Three years ago, I had the moderately stupid idea of doing a podcast that was like, hey, what about books but funny? And, and then RJ listened to it and said, hmm, but what about books but funny but also me and I was like yeah that's probably a good idea and then we kept did we kept doing it and we've received so much love and support from so many people so many more people than I ever would have predicted ever like I assumed we would be doing this to essentially an, an empty room for way longer than we did and we just want you to know that everybody who has ever supported the show in any way, you've subscribed, you've left a review, you've listened to all of them, you've told someone about them, you've reached out on social media to, to tell us that you dig the show or that, you know, we've like brightened your day with our literary tomfoolery. That just means the fucking world to us. It's, it's really amazing and we love it and... If you had told me three years ago when we recorded us saying dumb shit about Macbeth that we would still be going and that we would have an audience and a a following in our tiny, weird, generally sort of horny niche on the internet. Well, I probably would have believed the horny part, but the rest of it I would have been like, "Mm, no, no, that sounds fake, but it's not, which is wild. So thank you. And hopefully we will continue to deliver that sweet, sweet, generally sort of horny literary content that you crave, and you'll keep enjoying it. And, of course, 
possibly the wildest part of this is the fact that we have people supporting us on our Patreon, which is really cool and a big part of what has helped us kind of keep going for these three years and, you know, try to do things to make the show better. And our patrons are just the coolest, best, amazing people in the world, possibly. You know, I mean, like, I, I could conduct a study to make sure, but I, it feels right. It feels correct to say that. And that includes our newest patrons, Hannah, Rezzy, and Maggie. Thank you, guys. And just, you know, keep on being fucking dope. I really don't have too much else to add here. Subscribe to our $5 tier this month or above. Oh, yeah, yeah there's better stuff higher up also to get not just, you know, the typical uh, stickers and bookmark that you would normally get, but also a bonus sticker and bookmark, which I already talked about earlier on in the episode, so I won't uh, hem and haw anymore. Thank you guys for listening. Also, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, preemptively. RJ's gonna do some really terrible things with his voice soon, and I just want to go ahead and apologize for that now. So, all right, here we go. And now, much nothing. As it is a done. Act 1, Scene 1 opens in Messina in Italy. Because as we just said, Big Willie has an enduring hard-on for setting plays in Italy. The governor of Messina is a dude named Leonardo, a name which should now sound familiar to you, who we find hanging out at home with his daughter, Hero, and niece, Beatrice. A messenger appears to inform him that his buddy, Don Pedro, Prince of Aragon, has just finished fighting someone or other, it's not important, and is coming with his men to Messina to get fucking lit in celebration. Beatrice turns to the messenger and is like, hey, did you happen to hear if anyone named Benedict died? Because I definitely hate him and wish he would be dead, and I'm not trying to make sure he's safe or whatever, because I hate him. And the messenger's like, oh, nah, he's fine. He, he's been chilling with this younger guy who kicked ass in battle named Claudio. And Beatrice is like, well, it sucks to be Claudio then, because Benedict is the worst. And being friends with him is basically like catching an STD. It's like getting that horrible cauliflower dick that they showed us in seventh grade. Doesn't Benny mean good? Uh, I guess. Like, like, bueno. Bueno, bueno dick. <laughs> yeah, a, be- a Benny dick. I'm making you the good dick. Like, Benny... a, like a mama used to. Dick means dick. Okay. Benny means good. Yeah, well, good. Ben- Benny Benedict. Good. Dick, yeah. Dick. Way to be 10 seconds behind. Are they over 40, though? I don't think so, but then again, you got James Earl Jones and Vanessa Redgrave and, like, more power to him. So, at this point, Leonardo tells the messenger, like, look, it's cool. Beatrice and Benedict have known each other forever, and they're just like this. And it drives everyone else fucking insane. And then... Right on cue, Don Pedro, Benedict, Claudio, an attendant named Balthazar, which is a super cool name that's totally wasted on this nothing of a character, and finally Don Pedro's brother, Don John, the Bastard Prince, which is both his title and a major character trait, walk in. Benedict and Beatrice have the first of many battles of wit that essentially boil down to puns about how much the other one sucks, while everyone else just has to stand around and soak in that sexual tension. You ever been in a group like that where there are two people that you know really just need to bang it out already and everyone else just has to kind of deal with them like dancing around that? Oh, Pravi and Cooper? No, our cats are not- No! Gross! They're brother and sister, you monster. And Benedict saw this. This is why a woman- Oh, I gotta give an answer, man. Oh, well, then give one that doesn't suck. Is it going to just be silence? I'll give one that doesn't suck then. James Vanderbeek and Katie Holmes. Huh? What? Dawson's Creek. 
I think you're too old to be fucking. They are now. <laughs> I think you're too old to be fucking with that reference. What? And Benedict's all, uh, this is why women are the worst, you guys. I'll never get married. Women are icky and have cooties. And Leonardo's like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna move on here. Don Pedro, come stay with your men and your pissy-looking illegitimate brother that you have only just recently reconciled with at my villa or whatever the fuck so we can get into some wacky shenanigans. That sounds good, Don Pedro and everyone. And they wander off and they leave Claudio alone with Benedict. Claudio makes the fatal mistake of telling Benedict something personal and admits that he's in love with Leonardo's daughter, Hero. And Benedict immediately makes fun of him and runs to Don Pedro like, Haha, gross, you like Hero. Hey, everyone, Claudio likes a girl. Isn't that stupid? Also, she's short and not as pretty as Beatrice, who sucks and I hate so much for real. I'll never get married to anyone ever, especially not Beatrice. Why am I still talking? Is it hot in here for anyone else? And I don't know. If it's hot in here, you might be suffering from menopause, which signals you should stop fucking. <laughs> Let's give menopause. Menopause. Yeah. Menopause, menopause. Shut up. Don Pedro basically tells Benedict to, to please, for the love of God, shut up so he can find out all about Claudio's cute little crush. Feel free to imagine Benedict continuing to rant in the background about how he's grateful to his mom for giving birth to him, which I'm glad he took the time to specify, but all other women are terrible because of reasons. Claudio tells Don Pedro that he was into Hero before the war, but was too busy feeling horny for battle. And now that that's over and he sees her again, he's feeling horny in his heart. Aww. Don Pedro thinks that's adorable, and he tells Claudio, okay, cool. So here's what we're gonna do. There's a masquerade ball tonight. I'm gonna pretend to be you and make Hero fall in love with me, but she thinks will be you, and I'm gonna do it so good that she'll have to marry you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this seems needlessly complicated. Why are there disguises and people pretending to be other people when Claudio can literally just walk over to Hero and say that he likes her? Because this is a Shakespeare play, damn it! And everyone needs to lie and wear masks and fuck around. Those are the rules. In fact, Leonardo's brother Antonio overhears like half of this conversation and decides that's probably good enough and runs off to tell Leonardo that, holy shit, Don Pedro's gonna try and woo your daughter. And Leonardo's like, this is awesome, let's prep for that now and not do any actual double checking on that. And meanwhile, another dude heard the convo between Claudio and Don Pedro and his name is Baraccio. And he goes running to Don John, who is brooding in a room with his attendant, Conrad. Conrad is trying to tell his boss in the nicest way possible to quit being a shit and appreciate that Don Pedro is being so chill with him when he really doesn't have to be at all and could probably have Don John killed if he felt like it. Don John just pouts and is like, I eat when I'm hungry and I sleep when I'm tired and you can't make me pretend to be happy when I'm not. Fuck you, Conrad. You're not my mom. Then Braccio runs in. Yes, say it right. Oh, sorry. You're not my mom. Yeah, that is better. And Baraccio runs in and tells them Don Pedro and Claudio's wooing plans. And Don John strokes his chin and is like, I think I will cause problems on purpose. Thus ends Act 1. Act 2 opens right after dinner, but before the mass dancing, as Leonardo, Antonio, Beatrice, and Hero talk about how Don John wasn't at dinner, and Beatrice sees the opportunity to make the conversation about Benedict who's just the worst ever, and she definitely doesn't want to ever kiss him on the mouth because gross, am I right? And Leonardo's like, okay, but like maybe you'll marry someone someday? Because, you know, marriage is nice. Hero's gonna marry fucking Prince now, that's pretty cool. And Beatrice is like, play her for life, single till I die, bitch. And Hero doesn't say anything. She's not the hero of this story? No, because Beatrice is the cool lady character, and you're only allowed one of those. So Hero is instead relegated to the role of chaste yet sexy lamp. And chaste yet sexy lamps don't get to have opinions. 
And anyway, it's time for dancing, but mostly weird masked flirting. And there's enough horny for everyone, with even lowly attendants like Baraccio and Margaret, whose heroes made, getting their flirt on. Meanwhile, Pedro makes the moves on Hero, while Beatrice is, of course, paired with Benedict, who pretends to be someone else who could be like, hey, what do you think of Benedict? I hear he's pretty cool. And it's heavily implied that Beatrice knows it's him under the mask, and she's like, oh yeah, I heard his dick's tiny and he has no friends. This makes Benedict very upset. Not because he likes Beatrice or anything like that. <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> nope. Okay. I'm just gonna keep going then. While that's happening, Don John sets his evil plan in motion. By which I mean he walks up to Claudio, who he has clocked as Claudio, even with a mask on, pretends that he thinks Claudio is Benedict and is like, Hey, Benedict, did you hear that Don Pedro's gonna marry Hero? Wild shit, right? I really hope that guy Claudio didn't like her or anything. Also, John John's really cool, and his dick is huge. That's not really relevant to this conversation, but it's just something I heard. It's always relevant. <laughs> How can it not be relevant to any conversation? BDE is always relevant. <laughs> Whenever Don John isn't in the room, people should be talking about Don John and his really big dick. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, on a manipulation scale of one to Iago, it's it's about a three, but it does the job. Gets the job done. And does Claudio go to talk to Don Pedro or Hero or literally anyone else to confirm this rumor? Yes. No, of yes. course not. Yeah, he gets it from multiple sources. No, he doesn't. He takes the word of a random mass stranger and basically falls on the floor to throw a tantrum and kick his stupid little feet. This is important because it sets up that Claudio's a fucking idiot who will believe whatever and then throw a bitch fit. But right now it's okay, because ten seconds later, Don Pedro pops up and is like, Oh, hey, why are you so sad? I did the thing, and Hero loves you now, because that's how things work in Shakespeare comedies. And Claudio immediately perks back up, and he and Hero make out, and Beatrice is like, Ooh, yeah, I get it, girl. And Don Pedro, out of nowhere, decides to just, like, shoot his shot. And he tells Beatrice that, like, hey, she can have an easy time getting married, too, if she felt like it. And Beatrice is like, oh, yeah? Like, like who? Who would I marry? And he's like, me... And, and she's like, game, game, respect game, Don Pedro, but marriage is for suckers. And she leaves. And Don Pedro's like, man, she really hates marriage. I wonder if there's anyone out there for her. Just like I wonder the same thing about Benedict. You know, he also likes to mock people and take the piss out of everyone's good time. It's almost like... And now at this point, you should imagine Don Pedro turning on the stage to directly face the audience. Beatrice and Benedict should marry each other. <laughs> But that's crazy. Unless. Unless. I mean, I really never think after that. That's just like kind of what he said, what he says, because it's leading up. Unless. Dot, dot, dot. dot. Meanwhile, Claudio and Hero are ready for the train to Bone Town to leave the station and want to get married tomorrow. And Leonardo's like, ooh, pump the brakes there, horn dogs. And Don Pedro convinces them to wait a week. And Claudio's like, but that's so far away. I want to fuck now. How will we ever pass the time while I'm thinking about fucking? And Don Pedro reveals that he has an idea of a fun way to kill some time. What do you think that is, RJ? Cause mischief. Kind of, yeah. Not not like the Don John brand of mischief, though. Finding that sweet-o. No. Smoking some Mary Jane. Nope. No, he, he says to everyone, like, hey... Man, aren't you sick of having to listen to Benedict and Beatrice do this battle of witch shit every time they're in the same room and wish that they would just fuck it out already? Let's kill them. <laughs> Let's just fucking kill them. <laughs> Wrong genre of Shakespeare. <laughs> Yo, he looks pretty tasty. I bet his liver 
has just as much iron as a calf's liver. <laughs> or we could just take some Geritol. Oh, and- shit, we could. <laughs> and Don Pedro tells everyone that mass dancing is officially out and scheming to get Benedict and Beatrice to get their heads out of their asses long enough to realize they have feelings for each other is in. Also, taking Geritol is in. <laughs> Meanwhile, in a dark hole somewhere, probably, Don John is upset that his master plan to ruin everyone's good time, which was, I remind you, in its entirety, say a mean thing to Claudio to make him sad, didn't pan out. But that's okay, because Baraccio is on the case. He's like, it's cool, boss. I have a great idea. I'm gonna have sex with Margaret. Gonna have sex. And and Don John looks confused, and Baraccio explains that Margaret is hero's maid. And Don John's like, all right, like, g- good for you, I guess, but I really don't see how this helps me. And Baraccio explains that he's going to have sex with Margaret at the window to hero's room. And Don John's like, all right, you're a freaky little exhibitionist, but I'm still not connecting the dots here. And Baraccio spells out a plan for Don John to tell Don Pedro and Claudio that Hero is unfaithful and prove it to them by taking them to Hero's window, where Baraccio will be fucking Margaret and yelling out Hero's name. Which seems like it would be pretty suspicious to Margaret, but whatever. Don John loves this idea now and says that if it goes well, he will reward Baraccio with 1,000 ducats. Ducats? Ducats. Sure. Ducats. Ducats. For what I'm fairly certain is just a super elaborate way for Baraccio to get his rocks off with like a very specific fetish. I'm gonna kink shame Baraccio, just to be safe. The scene ends, and then we get the final scene of Act 2, aka the beginning of Operation Benby. Or maybe B-Ben. I don't know what their couple name would be. Maybe Dictress. Dictress. Yeah, Operation Dictress is a go. Benedict is moping around the garden, depressed that his buddy Claudio has come down with a bad case of love, and wishes they could just hang out and be dudes without any gross, terrible women getting in the middle of everything and messing stuff up. As he's talking about this, Don Pedro, Claudio, Leonardo, and Balthazar approach, and Benedict, for reasons I am not entirely clear on, freaks out and hides in a shrub. As one does. <laughs> like, in the text, it just is like, he says like, ah, oh, here they come. I will away into the arbor. Like, it's like, I'm literally, you throw my dumb ass into a bush. I don't understand why he's hiding from them. And he doesn't even do a good job because they see him hide and they're like, oh, there he goes. Into the shrub. So first they make Balthazar sing a song about how all men are cheaters, so women shouldn't worry their little heads about it for some reason, which is weird considering the content of uh, this play, which reads as follows. Sigh no more, ladies, sigh no more. Men were deceivers ever. One foot in sea and one on shore, to one thing constant never. Then sigh not so, but let them go, and be you blithe and bonny, converting all your sounds of woe into hey nani nani. Hey, nani, nani. Hey, nani, nani. Did you just do it to hate Macarena? Hey, nani, nani. Sing no more ditties. Sing no more of dumps so dull and heavy. <laughs> Don't you sing about those dull and heavy dumps. The fraud of men was ever so since summer first was leafy. Then sigh not so, but let them go. Wait, is heavy and leafy supposed to rhyme? Heafy? So dull and heafy? Sigh no more. No more. We're gonna get there. Okay, Momper. But let them go and be you blithe and bonny. Let it go. And they just stole all the words. It's all, yep, it's all still. Converting all your sounds of woe into hey, nani, nani. Hey, nani, nani. God. Then Benedict remarks from his hiding bush that uh, Balthazar sounds like a dying animal. 
And Don Pedro sends Balthazar away, and that's pretty much it for him. So again, just an utter waste of a super dope name. Sounds like a Pokemon. Because it sounds like Bulbasaur? Balthazar. <laughs> hey guys, look who it is. It's Balthazar. Balthazar. <laughs> hey, well, why don't you sing this song about love, Balthazar? <laughs> Balthazar. Okay, so <laughs> that's not a sound any Pokemon has ever made ever, nor should any human ever make ever. <laughs> then, finally, they talk very loudly about how Beatrice is secretly super in love with Benedict, and she's too proud to ever admit it. And also, she's not going to admit it because she thinks Benedict won't love her back, and will just make fun of her, and so it's killing her inside. And they're like, maybe we should tell Benedict, but nah, he says he hates Beatrice, and also marriage. Maybe if we don't say anything, this whole thing will just blow over. Or Beatrice will die of sadness. Who knows? Either way, let's go get some dinner. And he's standing there thinking, if only she was in the CBT too. Uh, That's his kink. There's enough kinks in this fucking play already. So Benedict totally falls for it. Partially because he's already kind of in love with Beatrice and, and too deluded to realize it. But mostly because, like the majority of the characters in the play, he's an idiot. And very gullible. He does an immediate 180 and it's just like, yeah, marriage and love and Beatrice. These are things I like now, suddenly. On the way to dinner, he runs into Beatrice and they have a super awkward interaction where he's uncharacteristically nice and flattering to her. And Beatrice, unable to handle the conversation that's not the two of them negging each other, runs away. And Benedict is like, yep, she wants a piece of this Benedict, all right. Ayy. And with that, we end act two. Now in Act 3, it's Beatrice's turn to get tricked into falling in love. Hero gets Margaret to tell Beatrice that there's someone in the garden talking shit about her and she should maybe go check that out. And Beatrice listens in on Hero and Ursula, another maid, giving essentially the same spiel about how Benedict is hopelessly in love with her. And just like Benedict, Beatrice goes from zero to lovesick in about 30 seconds. Meanwhile, Don Pedro and Claudio are hanging out with Benedict and Don Pedro's like, Man, I'm glad Benedict is here because once you're married, Claudio, you're basically just going to want to have sex all the time or whatever. But I can depend on good old Benedict to never ever get married or fall in love, right? Ha <laughs> ha we're pulling a trick on you. Ha ha ha. And uh, Benedict's like, I'm actually ab about that. And then Don Pedro notices that Benny's gotten a haircut, he's wearing cologne, he shaved his beard, and it's like, hmm. It seems like you're trying to impress someone. Perhaps a lady? Benedict's like, dude, shut, shut the fuck up. Maybe you like a lady, huh? Projecting much? I'm gonna go do some stuff now because fuck you guys. And then he leaves, which means it's time for... Talking about penis. No. How big that dick is. Nope. Check it. Well, I guess maybe because Don John isn't in the room, they're like, man, have you heard about Don John's dick, though? Huge. That, as his brother, did you get it too? It's it's specifically time for Don John's evil sex plan. Ugh. He saunters up and asks when Claudio is getting married. And he tells him that the wedding is tomorrow. And Don John's like, mm, I don't know, you might want to rethink that, my dude. And he tells him that Hero is fucking some other guy. And that he can prove it if they meet him at midnight under Hero's window. Now here's the thing. Iago put a lot of work into being a total kiss-ass and acting like everybody's best friend so people would believe him when he said insane shit like your wife is obviously cheating on you with your very good friend. But Don John hasn't done any of that. In fact, the other characters regularly comment on what a sour-faced dickhead he is and were given an admittedly vague reference 
that he might have even attempted to overthrow his brother at one point. So there's no reason that anyone, least of all Don Pedro, should trust him. But oh well, they do, and they meet under Hero's window, because as, as far as they know, for some reason, Don John just knows that that's Hero's hot, illicit sex hour, and that she'd be doing it at the window in front of God and everyone, and that doesn't seem the least bit suspicious to you guys? No? Nah. No. That's good, yeah. But before we get to the deception sex, we have to meet Constable Dogberry and the Watchman. The short version of this scene is that all of them are, in the general nature of the common folk in Shakespeare plays, dumb as hell. Dogberry constantly uses words wrong and gives weird, conflicting instructions, like to stop anyone who seems suspicious. But if they don't stop, then just let them go. Because it probably means they work for the prince and don't need to stop when someone calls out to them. That's good police work right there. <laughs> oh yeah. He also basically says that they can sleep through their watch as long as they don't let themselves get robbed while they're asleep. But also, if they do see a thief, they shouldn't do anything because they don't want to get involved in thievery. That's bad. It is. Now, while they may be a loose assemblage of idiots, the Watchmen are also easily the most effective people in this play. For real. Why, you may ask? Why? Because they stay out of sight when Baraccio and Conrad wander by and talk about the dirty details of Baraccio's big night and get to hear him explain basically every aspect of the plan, including how Don Pedro and Claudio met with Don John at midnight and saw Baraccio, although they don't know it's him, having sex with Margaret, who they assume is Hero, because it's, it's really dark out, I guess. And they heard Baraccio calling her Hero, which he would have had to have been doing pretty loudly, I imagine, for Don Pedro and Claudio to hear it. So Margaret must be either really confused or absolutely into it. Also, brief aside, where is Hero? Baraccio gives like a half-ass, like, oh, I'll figure something out in terms of getting her out of her room when he's first outlining the plan to Don John, but they never explain it. RJ? Is Hero asleep in the room? Yes. <laughs> are they are they fucking while Hero is asleep in the room? She's fapping. Uh, Stick on that O. Uh, Margaret and Baraccio are nasty. They are dirty sex weirdos and I'm kink shaming them. Why are you kink shaming them? I'm kink shaming them. Why? Because they're nasty. How are they nasty? They're fucking in front of a window in someone else's room yelling out different people's names. That person might be asleep in bed in the same room or or rubbing one out while watching. I don't know. It's unclear. It's a good Thursday night. Why specifically a Thursday night? That's big Thursday energy. Ah. Yeah, if you do a Friday, Saturday, you really cut loose. Sunday is a day of rest. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is a build up to that. But that's you know, just a prelude to what's ahead. Okay. Anyway, unlike so many people in this play... The Watchmen wait and listen to the whole story before leaping out to arrest the two men for lechery, or treachery, which is a pretty decent joke that he makes. And then they mean to arrest them for treachery, um, but then they're like, you're under arrest for lechery, which is funny because fucking. The next morning, Hero is getting ready for the wedding and is like, I have a bad feeling about this. I, I just have this unexplained heaviness on me. And Margaret, unhelpful pervert that she is, is like, yes. But soon you'll have the heaviness of your husband on you. Hey-oh. Now hush, sexy lamp. It's time to go get married. Or is it? Anytime's a good time for marriage. Not this time. What? Because act four becomes the Claudio drama queen hour. As they drag out the whole fucking ceremony. And when the friar asks, do you take this woman to be your wife? Claudio's like, ha ha, grand reveal. Hero is actually a slut and I will never marry her. Take that. Oddly, I'm more attracted to her now more than ever. <laughs> uh, and everyone's just like, 
What? What the hell? And Claudio calls her an approved wonton, which in this case does not mean thumbs up on a delicious Chinese dumpling, but that she's a proven adulteress, even though they weren't married. So I'm not sure that's the right term, but whatever. And Hero's like, why are you saying this? What about me is, is slutty? And Claudio's just in like full bitch fit mode and he's like, everything! And Hero's crying and Don Pedro, Claudio, and Don John attest to witnessing the hot, hot window sex, which Hero obviously denies. And of course, people rally around Hero and support her because this whole scenario is batshit crazy, right? Yeah. Wrong! Oh. Hero's dad screams that she's ruined him and offers to stab her to death. What the fuck? You know, when you get angry, sometimes... You threaten to stab your daughter to death. You say things you didn't really mean. Like, I'm gonna kill you, daughter of mine. You should have had a Snickers. You should have. Leonardo, you're not you when you're hungry and your daughter's been accused of being an approved wanton. So, Claudio and his gang of dipshits run away, yelling about how Hero is a dirty whore, and Hero, quite reasonably in the face of all this, faints. And Leonardo's like, I hope she's fucking dead. Damn, father of the year award right there. What a shithead. Beatrice insists that Hero is innocent, and this is all garbage, and Benedict, for all that he's also kind of a dumbass, actually agrees. The friar at this point chimes in that he also thinks Hero is being framed, and that his friar senses tell him that she's a good and honest woman. And then Benedict, bless his soul, is like, yeah, Claudio and Don Pedro are usually pretty good dudes, but they were being led around by Don John, and literally all of us know that he's a dick and can't be trusted. Right? Yes! The, 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 yes. the thing that no one else seems to fucking realize. And Leonardo's just like, oh my god, you're right, my poor little hero, I'll kill him! I'll kill them all! And points for trying, but I guess, you know, too little too late. You were ten seconds away from murdering your daughter based on hearsay from an evil prince, you ridiculous fuck basket. So now what? I don't know. I'm only four. No, I'm only three. <laughs> when I turn four... That's when I can tell you what I think is going to happen in the story. Mm. All right, so we got another year. What happens? The friar has a solution. Oh. Fake your own death. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen this one before. I've seen how this one ends. Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> Kate Winslet, the boat. He makes believe he drowns. L- Leonardo uh, says, you know, like, why? Why is this a thing that we should do? And the friar gives the answer that, as far as any of the others know, when Hero fainted, she might well have just dropped down dead, and then they'll all be very sad. Because only a true innocent maiden would literally die at the accusation of having gotten her fuck on before marriage, and at some point during all this, they'll probably figure out the truth. Somehow. And no one can think of a better idea, so that's what they do. Now, I read a post on Tumblr like a million years ago where someone Good for you. Yeah, ha ha ha. Where someone posited that this friar is the same one from Romeo and Juliet and his solution to any problem is fake your own death. And this tickles the hell out of me for many reasons. One because it's an absolutely insane suggestion like look just pretend you're dead it'll work itself out. Make sure you have life insurance first. Yeah, well. And uh, two, since Romeo and Juliet was written first, then canonically speaking, the friar would have already seen the disastrous consequences that fake your own death can have and is suggesting it again anyway, (laughs) which I love. Like, you know what? I have a good feeling about it this time. Last time, they both died. I think it'll go better this time. If not, I'm going to have to keep moving on to another part of Italy and be a friar there instead. I've got a feeling. Ooh, ooh. That. No one's gonna die this time. <laughs> Everything's gonna work out. 
Everyone scuttles away to proceed with the scuttles. plan. He scuttle. They scuttle like like little crabs to proceed with the plan, leaving Benedict and Beatrice alone. And I guess nothing makes you horny in your heart like watching a wedding fall to pieces because they finally confess their love for each other. Yay! They've made this day about them now. And Benedict really plays it up and tells Beatrice that he vows to do anything for her love. And Beatrice says, "Go kill Claudio. Do it for the pussy. You want this? Oh, you gotta kill." Claudio. Claudio. <laughs> Benedict, who was probably expecting something more along the lines of flowers or chocolate or going down on her, is a bit taken aback by this. Beatrice insists that Claudio has ruined her cousin's life, and if Benedict really loves her and really believes that Hero is innocent, he will man up and go stab that little bastard in the face. And Benedict hesitates, and Beatrice channels the spirit of Lady Macbeth. Yes, I know that play hadn't been written yet, but shut up. And is like, well, oh, oh, time out. Maybe not by Shakespeare, but by like ten other people. Maybe. And she says, oh, but were I a man, I would eat Claudio's heart in the marketplace. Be a man. Eat that heart in the marketplace. You don't Be know the man. tune of any song ever. <laughs> You've got to eat hearts in the marketplace. It's just it's 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 uh it's very evocative. Of eating hearts? Yeah, in, in in the market well, both I guess. And Benedict is like, okay, yes, fine, dual Claudio, got it. Please never talk about devouring hearts in a place of public business again, ever. Meanwhile, Back with Dogberry and the Watchmen, they managed to fumble their way through interrogating Baraccio and Conrad, putting together Baraccio's story with the fact that Don John has suddenly left Messina in a hurry, and Hero is apparently dead, and they come to the stunning conclusion that there is some tomfuckery afoot, and they probably ought to tell someone. Thus ends Act 4. Finn, what a story. No, there's still one more act. What? There's- Shakespeare is famously known for four-act plays. Yeah, and not tying up any loose ends. Correct. In the play's final act, Benedict confronts Claudio and Don Pedro and tells them they fucked up real bad. And they in turn taunt him and say that Benedict is blinded by love and will believe whatever bullshit Beatrice tells him. Being blinded by love is for wussies. Being blinded by science is for men. <laughs> I got nothing to say to that. He challenges Claudio to a duel and is just like, come, come fight me if you're a big man. And then he tells Don Pedro that he's not mad at him. He's just disappointed. He thought Don Pedro was better than this. He also points out that Don John has mysteriously run away, so like, you know, put two and two together, you fucking numbskulls. And Claudio and Don Pedro are like, man, Benedict seems really serious. That's kind of weird and different for him. And then the Watchmen show up with Baraccio, who admits to everything, and the two are like, oh, oh shit, we fucked up real bad. It's almost like we should have known better than to trust a verified backstabbing asshole over a nice girl who's never done anything bad to anyone ever. But he has a blue check mark next to his name. <laughs> yeah, but he's verified in being a dick. Oops. Oops. Claudio and Don... <laughs> so I have written down here Claudio and Don Pedro, uh, or it's supposed to be prostrate themselves before Leonardo. I definitely wrote down, Claudio and Don Pedro prostate themselves before Leonardo. I do that too. I stick a finger up there, kind of like a hook, you know, you kind of massage it out. <laughs> they prostate themselves and they say, we fucked up so bad. We're so sorry. What can we do to make it up to you? Is this prostate thing doing it? Uh, and Leonardo, uh, t- uh, please stop. And, uh, and Leonardo, uh, stop it. 
And Leonardo tells them to go to Hero's grave and be sad, and also to renounce their accusations and restore her good name. And then this is where it gets weird. That tomorrow, Claudio is going to marry Leonardo's niece. No, not Beatrice. A different one. One that's basically an exact copy of Hero who was just around somewhere. Like a spare sexy lamp, waiting to be married to a random man. And Claudio's like, yeah, okay, let's do this. Today I'll mourn Hero, and tomorrow I'll marry... I don't know. Shiro? Yiro? <laughs> whoever. Shira. Shira. In another scene, Benedict is trying unsuccessfully to write a love poem to Beatrice, which he hastily hides when she shows up. They try to flirt and be sweet with each other, but can't help but slip back into their usual antagonistic backsass, only to finally realize that searing sarcasm is actually their love language. Sound familiar at all? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel pretty seen right now. You got me. <laughs> I really didn't think you would just cop to it that easily, I'm gonna admit. <laughs> um, and then a messenger comes and tells him about the whole thing about Hero and being exonerated, blah blah blah. It's time for wedding part two, wedding harder, Euro edition. Antonio comes out with a veiled woman saying that she's his daughter and is like, you still ready to make this happen? And Claudio's like, yep, I'll marry her no matter what. Even if she's an Ethiop, which is a weird and unnecessary place to slip in some racism, but that's Shakespeare for you. Meanwhile, Benedict is like, how can I make today more about me? And confesses his love for Beatrice to the friar and asks if he can do a double wedding. And the friar's like, we're about to have a surprise fake wedding turn into a surprise back from the dead wedding. So at this point, sure, why the fuck not? Let's do it. As Claudio pledges himself to Euro, she tosses off the veil to reveal that she's Hero! Gasp. Oh my god! Okay, you sounded like fucking Lupita Nyong'o in Us. That was terrifying. Never do that again. Okay. Ah, I don't like it. Also, she got shafted by the Academy. Just gonna put that out there. Don't at me. So Claudio's like, wow! Leonardo was right! You really do look just like Hero! He's just so fucking stupid. And they try to explain for a hot second that Hero was never really dead, using this like kind of metaphor that it was just her reputation that was dead. And uh, this all goes over Claudio's head, and the friar's just like, all right, you know what, we'll get into this later, let's just get this over with. Come on, we got a wedding. And Benedict is like, wait! Me and Beatrice need to make this all about us first. Hold up. Because even though we like each other now, we still like stealing everyone's attention even more. And they do this whole weird song and dance about not being able to publicly declare their love for each other and that maybe they should just stay friends. But then Hero and Claudio each have awkward love poems that they stole from Benedict and Beatrice at some point that are proof of their love. And the two shrug and are like, I don't know why we fucking did this. Um, Guess we'll get married, but first, dance party! That's not a dance party. That's not. That's not dance party music. You're bad at this. We're getting married because it's Shakespeare and it's a play. I've never seen this music video before. I I never have either. There's a lot going on. Now, for some reason, Pitbull isn't in like where the rest of the video is. He's on the beach. I see. In a suit. 
Well, that's because that's where he always is, because he's Mr. 305. But uh, Kesha is in a club. Well, that's usually where Kesha is. That's named Timber. Oh, he has multiple suits. Hey, he is only on the beach, though. <laughs> wow, this video is something. The horses don't seem to be connected to either of them. All right, you know what? Forget much ado about nothing. Go watch the the, the, the video for Timber on YouTube. <laughs> we could do a whole episode on this shit. So yeah, they, they, they do a dance party, uh, Timber. And Benedict notices that Don Pedro, you know, the guy who Beatrice shot down and now has to watch both his friends get married and whose evil brother tried to ruin everyone's lives, looks kind of sad. And he's like, hey, you should find yourself a wife. And while it's not explicitly stated in the stage directions, I have to assume that Don Pedro gives him the finger. Lastly, a messenger shows up and says that Don John has been captured and returned to Messina, and everyone conga lines their way out of the play just like the wedding at the end of Shrek. The end. Timber. That's much to do about nothing, where the title is astonishingly accurate, as everyone freaks the fuck out over just absolute horseshit. Hey, George. What is this all about? Nothing, Jerry, nothing. It's about nothing. Because they're all dumber than a sack of particularly stupid hammers, and it's just delightful. But who's Kramer? Balthazar. <laughs> Balthazar. Oh, why did I say that? That was a mistake. Balthazar. Now, so what's Balthazar evolve into? Or see the evolved form? I... Now, at query, he's the evolved form. No, he doesn't evolve into Baraccio? No, because <laughs> he started as Balthy. Aww. That's much less disturbing. Balthy. Aww. I like Balthazar. Balthazar. No! I guess he, you know what? He does transform. Balzoid. Mm, nope. Balzoid. Nah, two out of three. Balzoid. No! <laughs> Everyone has stopped listening at this point. You're this old. You. I'm too old. <laughs> the fuck? I hate this. <laughs> Oh, we had a good run. We had a good three years. I guess that's I, it forever. I didn't eat my Geritol. Shut down the podcast. It's over. How about we talk about adaptations? And we go once more into the Shakespearean adaptational breach. So, uh, in terms of the play itself, it is, I suppose, worth mentioning that Noted Shakespeare truther, enemy of the show, Oxfordian son of a bitch, Mark Rylance, won the Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actor for playing Benedict in a 1994 production of the play, and then, as you mentioned, turned around and directed the version with the old people who were apparently not allowed to fuck. So, in 2011, Josie Rourke directed a production starring David Tennant as Benedict and Catherine Tate as Beatrice. This is the internet's favorite version of the play, because it reunites Doctor Who's 10th Doctor and Donna Noble, best companion, at me. And Scrooge McDuck and Magicka Dispel for all the non-Doctor Who 2017 DuckTales fans. I'm sure you're out there somewhere. It's available for digital download. On the subject of film, while the play got a German film adaptation in the 60s and a Soviet one in the 70s, it wasn't until 1993 that Much Ado About Nothing got an English language adaptation brought to you by Say It With Me Now, Kenny Kenneth no, Rogers. No, no. I'm going to give you one more try. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Bragnag. I hate you. Like every other Shakespearean adaptation. Kenneth Branagh. Stop it. Like every other Shakespearean adaptation he's directed, he made himself the star and plays Benedict because he had to build up enough Shakespeare energy to finally assume his place 
as actual William Shakespeare in the 2018 film All is True, which you can hear us talk about on our Patreon. Wink! Anyway, the film is packed to the gills with prominent and soon-to-be-prominent actors, including Emma Watson as Beatrice, Denzel Washington as Don Pedro, looking very hot, as we said, Brian Blessed as Antonio, Keanu Reeves as Don John, also looking very hot, Michael Keaton as Constable Dogberry, Baby Kate Beckinsale as Hero, and Robert Sean Leonard, a.k.a. Wilson from House, a.k.a. the cute tragic theater kid from Dead Poets Society, as Claudio. The movie was generally received with enormous praise from critics and uh, currently rocks a 90% Rotten Tomatoes rating. We just watched it the other day for this episode, and it's fine. It's a little over the top sometimes. Well, a little too much, but it's okay. Also, the horniness is dialed all the way up, but honestly, that's how Shakespeare would have wanted it, and we all know it. Really, the only thing the movie was criticized for was some of the casting choices, namely Keanu Reeves and Michael Keaton. I don't think it's particularly fair to Keanu. Like, he he does fine, especially because no one's trying to make him do an English accent like in Dracula. He, He just mostly has to stand around and look moody and handsome, and he's pretty good at that. What we can criticize Keanu Reeves for is being a motherfucking Oxfordian Shakespeare truther. Well, here's the thing, which though. is Which is a weird thing to have discovered when doing research for this episode. Oh, maybe he was there. He might actually know the oh, truth. Oh, I gotta rethink of this. You might gotta rethink of this. I might have to rethink of this. Say to Keanu. But yeah, Michael Keaton, on the other hand, that's valid. He, he's doing some weird semi Beetlejuice shtick. No, I thought movie. he was great. You're it's, wrong. It's it's very uncomfortable and bad to watch. No, amazing. He's a weird greasy boy and I don't like it. I should have won a that, supporting that Oscar. Fucking voice he did. The other notable recent film adaptation is Joss Whedon's take from 2013 where he was like, I just directed The Avengers. So a modern day but with the same old timey dialogue, black and white adaptation of a Shakespeare play Starring all my friends from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and every other TV show I ever worked on is the logical follow-up. Critics very much liked it, and proclaimed it a successful balancing act of contemporary sensibilities that stayed true to the original by being very horny and funny. This one I actually saw in theaters and have a a generally pleasant recollection of? This was a while ago at this point. At the very least, Nathan Fillion was a better dogberry than Michael Keaton. Just putting it out there. Getting away from film, so the Mumford and Sons first album, Sigh No More, is a direct reference to the play, and a few lines also end up uh, in the song of the same name, including uh, Serve God, Love Me and Mend, which is a thing that Benedict says to Beatrice, and also Oh Man is a Giddy, Oh Man is a Giddy Thing. <laughs> and then they're hit. Hey, 90-90. Uh, they say, sigh no more, one foot in sea and one in shore. They, they basically just reference the fucking song about how, how men, or how women shouldn't worry about men being, like, infidelitous all the time. I don't know. So yeah, early Mumford & Sons rips, by the way. Like, not to sound like that asshole, but they were so much, they were really good when they were starting out. It's a really good album. And finally, a quick pit stop at YA Literature with Speak Easy, Speak Love by Mikkel George. A book that asks and answers the question, what if much ado about nothing, but teens running a 1920s speakeasy? Which, I mean, honestly, that sure should grab my attention. I'm probably gonna go read that book. And then there's Nothing Happened by Molly Booth. Oh, for lesbians. Yeah, it has its own questions, like, what if much ado about nothing, but with teens at summer camp, and also gayer, because Claudio's a girl now. So, you know, check out those YA Shakespeare AUs if they sound fun to you. Anything else you want to add? 
Happy birthday to me. Well, we gotta we gotta do something else before we we can do that. Happy birthday to me. Oh boy. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Ah. That's how that song goes. (sighs) You blow out those candles. Hey, RJ. So much ado about no thing. Yeah. Good, bad, Bill Quaker dick. Ain't no thing. <laughs> Perhaps maybe a, a better question for the context of these kinds of episodes. Where do you hold it in your personal Shakespeare pantheon? I like this one. Towards the top. It's funny. Got Michael Keaton. That's just one of the versions of it. <laughs> the play itself does not necessarily have Michael Keaton. He's not a guarantee. So he is now. In my mind. He was every character. He was Hero and Claudio and Patrice. That's not a person and in this. Benigans. Oh, God. Yes, who could forget? Hero. Good old Benigans. I mean, I think it's good. About gossip and sex and marriage and love. Then you got the two who yelled at each other. Oh, snippy bippy. The end. <laughs> hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. Are you more of a Benedict, a Claudio, or Don John? I mean, I'd like... F. Mary Kill. Well, I would marry Benedict, I guess. And I would kill Claudio because he's a little shit. And I'd fuck Don John because that dick, though. (laughs) I mean, no, I I like this play a lot. F. Mary Kill, Beatrice, Hero. There's no other women in there. No, no, who's the one who catches the vitamin D? Uh, Margaret. Or Margaret. (laughs) I would probably marry Beatrice because she's the most fun. I guess I'd, I'd kill Hero because she fake dies already, and I'd fuck Margaret because you know she a freak. It's a good play. Macbeth is still my favorite like Shakespeare play ever. I don't know if I like this one better than Midsummer Night's Dream or not when it comes to, to comedies. I like Midsummer Night's Dream a lot, but this one is very good too. Midsummer. It's got, mid, yes, a Midsummer Night's Dream, which is a very different story. Yeah, no, it's a good play. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely one of those ones where it's more fun to watch necessarily than read so that you get better context for the witticisms and things like that. And plus it's fun to get like visual takes on things like Benedict jumping into a fucking shrub and eavesdropping on his friends. So yeah, no, good play. Good play, good play. We love ourselves a Shakespeare around here, around these parts. And so that will about do it for... The third year anniversary of Oh No Lit Class. Um, this is also a very special episode for another reason. Oh? It's the last episode we're going to record together in Florida. Megan's kicking me off. No. 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 We're, we're, we're moving. We're moving across, across the great old US of A. But RJ's going first. Megan will not let me stay with Pitbull. No, I, I don't trust the two of you together. And that's, I'm Mr. That's the 754. End of it. He was Mr. 305. Megan said no more. Sigh no more. Sigh no more, no more. Look, I don't give a hey nani nani about it. We're probably, what was it? We're going to be doing March Minisode Madness. And you'll know what that is later on. Not now. You got to wait. If you like our show. Yes. <laughs> if you're somehow still listening. Ooh. God bless you. Um. Yes. Help uh, help support us. So, uh, <laughs> subscribe, leave us a review, but most importantly, vote for us.
Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Including those in the underground. <laughs> tell the characters in the movie Us, hey, which I guess, we're, I guess we're referencing right now. Tell the, you know, that person who you definitely don't super love and, and want to bang, but, after you know, you just engage in, like, Naughty. barbed shows of, of wit with them and, and be like, hey, you're stupid and your face is bad. You should listen to Ono oh Lit Class. I definitely don't love you. And, you know, they'll know. They'll, they'll get what you mean. You can follow us on Twitter at Ono oh Lit Class Pod, where you can also see the uh, special Patreon stickers we're doing this month. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. You can buy some merch, and you can do all of these things at onoldeclass.com. The next episode will be on February 27th. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm Twee. Yes, you are. Going on four. <laughs> You're too old to fuck. <laughs> no, that's a 40. We love you. Bye. came on cue yep you know what shouldn't come anymore oh. you <laughs>